the old pilot's plain tales. The A to J of aviation. The language of aviation is treasured by those of us who use it, especially since it separates us from those poor earthbound souls who don't spend their lives with their eyes cast skywards, up to the heavens, muttering, that sounds like an RB211, or, no, that's not a North American BC-1, it's a Harvard. However, in the spirit of fairness, particularly to spouses who stand impatiently eyes rolling as we converse with our avgeek friends about how pretty that wedge tail is, here are a few pointers to help you join in the conversation. A is for aircraft. It could easily have been for aileron, the control surface that moves an aircraft around the longitudinal axis, a direction that's usually referred to as rolling, and is a common but useless maneuver performed in movies as a way to avoid air-to-air -air missiles. It doesn't. You're just going to die whilst rolling as you proceed in much the same path as you did before. Bear in mind that as you roll, a gyroscopic force is also at play and suitably precessed through 90 degrees, unless the mass of your aircraft is perfectly balanced around the rolling axis and you have strong directional stability, it's going to make the nose yaw. This divergence will eventually cause your aircraft to swap ends, usually with the same result as being hit by that missile. Ironic, isn't it? No, A is for aircraft, because no true professional called his aircraft a plane, airplane, aeroplane, and the like. America, I have learned, has somehow become an exception to this rule. It's acceptable to be more specific, such as airliner, fighter, biplane, amphibian, airship, glider, gyrocopter, and such, but in general, avoid anything that ends in plane, such as jet plane, warplane, light plane, the one exception being sailplane. B is for bag, in particular, a flight bag. Yes, I know it could be an F, but I'm writing this, not you. Pretty soon in your aviation career, flying aircraft, you're going to want to look the part. This involves the complex process of acquiring a flight bag. Other professionals have tried to adopt this vital piece of luggage. Travelling salesmen, doctors, international assassins and the like, but it remains a possession of and within the purview of only pilots. Although younger and more hip professional aircrew might sometimes have adopted a more casual approach to this vital accoutrement for a professional pilot, messenger bags and backpacks might give an air of nonchalance and indifference to a young first officer but it does little to inspire confidence and passengers are more likely to think that it would contain a bong than a CRP-5. Please see the letter C. Only a proper flight bag looks good being carried by a uniformed airline pilot. A flight bag must be sturdy, but be a bit battered, giving an air of long service. It is carried, not pulled, and it shows the result of a little loving care. It should, however, never look new. It opens at the top, giving easy access to the contents, 
but nowadays probably contains little more than aviator sunglasses, a water bottle, sandwich, torch, and the all-important iPad, which has replaced the heavy tomes of Jefferson approach plates it used to carry. Stickers on a flight bag are sometimes acceptable, but as one moves up in rank, they should be less obvious and more significant, like ones from an old but respected airline that has gone to the wall and a discreet union that puts the fear of God into management. C is for CRP5. We all have one, but few can still remember how to do anything but the most simple conversions on it. To the uninitiated, the CRP5 is basically a circular slide rule, known in the States as a slipstick, which to us British is too similar to slapstick, a form of low comedy. The slide rule is a mechanical analogue computer that can perform multiplication, division, roots, logarithms, trigonometry and exponents. It resembles a ruler which was found to be awkward to use in a cockpit, so a circular version was developed for pilots and navigators, etc. Our circular version makes up for the lack of scales a slide rule possesses by having a transparent rotating disc on the back which can be marked by pencil and when used in conjunction with the sliding plate will calculate drift and ground speed etc. It also has conversion windows for fuel weight, true airspeed, altitude corrections and such. If you have a metal E6B known in the Royal Air Force as a Dalton Computer Dead Reckoning Mark IV and nicknamed the Dalton Confuser, then you get extra marks. Don't be put off by the fact that Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan had them. They are harder to use than an app on your phone, but don't need recharging. D is for drag. Going to an airport can be a real drag, particularly when you're in a hurry. Check-in, security, immigration, getting through the maze of shops, queuing at your gate are all a drag. This phenomena is so well known that if you go on the NASA website and look for the page listing the velocity effects on aerodynamic forces at the Glenn Research Center, you can read that D equals constant times V squared. So if you attempt to double your velocity, your drag will quadruple. There is also a drag effect when actually flying, unless you've managed to blag your way into first class, which is immune to drag because of the sophisticated drag reduction devices deployed in the bar there. In aviation, drag is a real thing. Trying to go fast means lots of drag, which continually fight your efforts. A great deal of drag comes from the effort of flying, and for generations, aircraft manufacturers and designers have employed ways to reduce it, but it never goes completely away. Often, a drag reduction, like having a nice first class, is balanced by an increase in drag in economy often measured by the level of screaming. E is for empennage. If a non-avgeek drops this term into a conversation, 
It'll go quiet and heads will slowly turn, revealing slack-jawed and wide-eyed expressions. But if you're the aviation infant in this group, hold your nerve and confidently follow it up with something like, yes, it needed to be sizable because it used to suffer from Dutch roll at high level. As far as you know, a Dutch roll might be a type of crunchy bread, ubiquitous in San Francisco, made of tender white bread topped with a rice flour coating that bakes into an incredibly crisp and crackly topping. And indeed it is. In the world of aviation, however, it's often banded about, but trying to get someone to explain it usually involves a lot of squirming and then a visit to the toilet until the conversation has moved on. The empennage of an aircraft is a generic term for the tail assembly that provides control and stability in flight. It consists of the fin and tail plane, or vertical and horizontal stabilators in the States, which steady the aircraft in the yawing and pitching axes. The fin supports the rudder, which yaws the aircraft, and the tail plane, the elevator, which pitches it. Dutch roll is a form of yaw-roll-coupled instability that is common in swept-wing aircraft with weak directional stability and strong lateral stability. Disturbed in yaw, if slow to straighten, the aircraft will respond with the advancing wing rolling upwards. This increase in lift causes a corresponding increase in drag that now yaws the aircraft in the other direction, and the opposite effect occurs. The full cycle takes four to six seconds to complete, and if not corrected, it can amplify with each cycle, leading to disaster. A Boeing 707 test pilot once turned off the yaw dampers on an acceptance flight, and the handling pilot entered a Dutch roll so severe that it tore three of the engines clean off the wing. F is for flap. There are many kinds of flaps in aviation, the most common coming from the back whenever we have a little emergency. We all hope that the flight crew can keep it all together, but nowadays even that's not a sure bet. It's probably better if we consider the other kind, that is preceded by a descriptor like simple, split, slotted, double-slotted, triple-slotted, fowler, and those are just a few of the rear ones. Flaps, be they at the front or the back, change the shape of the wing, allowing it to work better at lower speed, making it safer and easier to land, and it gives the pilot something to talk about on the way down. F also works for fuselage, the bit you sit in. Free stream, the air you don't influence by your passage, and F it. But mainly that's for the words used when the landing doesn't go quite as expected. F is also for flatus, something that is verboten in the cockpit. And follow me, two things that should be mutually exclusive. A follow me is a car driven by someone who knows their way around an airfield, providing assistance to those who don't. Try not to follow him back to his parking garage. G is for GR. It's a code found in Terminal Aviation Forecasts and Meteorological Aerodrome Reports, which can beat your aircraft into a pulp. 
There's many a pilot who wished they'd been a bit more circumspect and circumnavigated their way around the circumference of a cumulonimbus storm cloud, which typically holds or precipitates GR, rather than blundering their way through it. When GR hits, the noise can be so loud and dramatic that speech is often impossible. Windshields crack, radomes are crushed, wing and empennage leading edges are dented, and navigation lights smashed. Indeed, anything that even comes close to protruding into the slipstream is fair game for destruction. If you're lucky, your engines will have survived the encounter and you'll still be able to see through your pitted windshield, although your aerials might have been destroyed, preventing radio communications or an instrument landing. GR is a good reason for giving CBs and thunderstorms a wide berth, since large ones can be devastating. GR refers to hailstones greater than 5 millimetres, that's quarter of an inch. That's just the minimum size. And remember, Noah has recorded a hailstone that fell in Vivian, South Dakota in 2010 that was 8 inches across, over 20 centimetres, and weighed nearly 2 pounds, or almost a kilo. GR can spoil your day. H is for hangar. This is the place to tell plane tales. It's where old pilots hang around, regaling anyone silly enough to listen with their stories of daring do, like the time they had nothing on the clock but the maker's name, and that was in Chinese. A hangar has a special smell, granted to it by generations of mechanics who absorbed its floor with a heady mixture of oil and aviation fuel, hydraulic fluid and dope, leather polish and paint fumes. It can be as quiet as a cathedral, and there is a compulsion to walk around gently in fear of waking the spirits of long-dead aviators. It should be made from corrugated iron sheets tacked together on an ancient wood frame and should house a wonderful mix of bright, shiny, sleek, expensive aircraft with clear perspex and smooth, unblemished props. But in the darker corners, there should be treasure. An old, dusty relic of yesteryear with half-flat tyres, pistons sticking out of the cowling, a chipped wooden prop, oil-stained canvas, cables and turnbuckles in plain sight, and no radio, barely an instrument panel, but a wealth of memories written on its sagging wings. I is for incidents, particularly its angle. In aviation, it's something that every aircraft has. Some people refer to it as the mounting angle. Stop doing that. The angle of incidence is the angle between the cord line, the line between the leading and trailing edges of the wing, to the longitudinal axis of the fuselage. Put more plainly, it's how the wing is set or rigged when the aircraft is built. On a light aircraft, it's commonly around six degrees up, so that as you trundle down the runway, the wing is presented to the relative airflow at a positive angle of attack and, without too much assistance from the pilot, will start producing lift. 
For more complex aircraft with advanced wing designs of variable symmetry, it's not so simple as the cord line will vary all the way along the wing. An instance of variable incidence is rare since most wings are securely bolted to the fuselage and will remain set for life, or a particularly bad landing. However, I'm sure the ab geeks out there will be already shouting Mignette Pou de Sel, and they would be right. The Flying Flea was an unusual little self-built biplane that employed a pair of staggered wings and no tailplane, so no elevators. Instead, the front wing was placed forward of the centre of gravity so that an increase or decrease in lift would pitch the aircraft up and down. This change in lift was achieved by moving the front wing, altering its angle of incidence, thereby changing the angle of attack and the value of lift. It kind of worked, but then a lot of crashes meant that a lot of countries banned them. At the other end of the speed scale was the Vought F-8 Crusader. The Crusader was the last of the Navy's gunfighters, a supersonic manoeuvrable jet with four 20mm Colt Mark 12 cannons as the primary weapons. It also carried sidewinders, which during the Vietnam War actually proved more successful at killing MiGs than the guns. What was novel about the Crusader was its ability to crank the leading edge of its wings up by 7 degrees to increase the angle of incidence for takeoff and landing. This gave an increase in lift whilst preventing an unacceptably high nose position to degrade the view out of the front windows. J is for Jetway. J is also for Jet Bridge, Jet Walk, but not Airgate. Finger, gangway, air dock, aero bridge, sky bridge, aero gangplank, air tube, passenger boarding bridge, or expedited suspended passenger entry system, even though these perform exactly the same function. They just don't begin with the letter J. They are all movable connectors which extend from an airport gate to an aircraft, allowing passengers to get on or off without being exposed to the weather. Although I've been to some airports where the conditions in the jetway are worse than outside. Anyone who has walked down one can recall the excitement of nearly getting to their shiny airliner, only to turn the corner and have their expectations shattered when faced with a huge queue of grumpy punters also waiting to get on. Airports usually charge more for using jetways, so if you've been bussed out to see a set of mobile stairs on your aircraft, you're flying with cheapskate airways. Jetways are even used by astronauts, but I bet they don't get soggy carpets and adverts for HSBC Bank on theirs. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the wonderful, dare I say, magnificent Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com. Now, Plane Tales is also its own independent podcast, which is why you're listening to this. If you like it, 
please let your friends know on social media and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Thanks very much for listening.